0: Again, with the the general movement to online shopping, online purchasing, and online discovery of service providers, this element of self-selection is not only becoming more powerful for the consumer, which is great, right? But it's also allowing vendors to more clearly articulate to their end client, I facilitate this service, this is what I do particularly well, do you fit into these parameters and is this what you are looking for and that is going to lead to a stronger exchange of goods and services you're listening to real marketing real fast the only podcast that brings you unfiltered undaunted
1: Well, welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Real Marketing Real Fast. Today in studio, I've got joining me Ian Reynolds. Now, Ian is a partner and chief solutions architect at a company called ZipTech. It's a software development firm focused on helping businesses of all sizes in the U.S. solve their core problems with software. They empower entrepreneurs, growth companies, enterprises, and visionary firms to have greater profitability, efficiency, valuation, and ultimate success by building the right tools through custom software. Ian has spent the better part of his career consulting as he served in a diverse number of industries such as finance, oil and gas, retail power field services, midstream energy, healthcare, pharmaceuticals, transactional financing, mergers and acquisitions, restructuring, e-commerce, retail, and software development. I really had a great conversation with Ian as we talked about automation and how he sees automation, sales and marketing automation especially, coming together for entrepreneurs and small businesses and how to leverage that and the uh, key deciding factors that uh, are going to affect our businesses in the future in terms of speed and that speed of uh, response to To our potential customers and also um, how Google's looking at speed. So with that being said, I'd like Ian to dive into that a little bit deeper. So I'd like you to help me welcome Ian to the Real Marketing Real Fast podcast today. Well, hey, Ian, welcome to the Real Marketing Real Fast podcast today good to be here thanks for having me i'm super excited because you have at least in my experience a really unique background you've got one foot well actually you know i can't see you have three feet but you got one foot firmly planted in the tech development side and the other foot planted in in, in marketing uh, as well as being an owner so um do you want to give this a little bit of background on how you ended up kind of in that role as as owner tech
0: and marketing <laughs> yeah, I wasn't uh, wasn't exactly aiming for all of these positions at once, but uh, yeah, sure. I can give you give you a quick background. So, uh, two years ago, I acquired fifty percent of Zubtech, which is a software development firm. We've been established for ten years, and we, as a business, had grown ourselves out of being a startup. Some fifteen odd years ago, we grew a company, sold it, and exited uh, to uh, Fortune five hundred or I guess now Fortune 500, and they, the, the company wanted to keep the band together. And the company has grown uh, very steadily historically out of that kind of raw engineering context and really needed to mature into a... You know, sort of positioning ourselves in the marketplace, positioning our knowledge in the marketplace rather than just referrals uh, and sort of the traditional mechanisms by which a consultancy uh, engages with clients. We were sort of growing outside of the, the, the bounds of just that sort of traditional you know, bump into folks and say, hey what do you do? And we had we had you know we had our, our sales team we had these other sort of disparate teams. Uh, Together, but they they didn't have sort of that unified structure around uh, marketing and sales, sort of jointly. And so, after the acquisition, we had a bunch of process things we had improved uh, really quickly. But then, you know, the the objective is always, uh, you know, sales and marketing or marketing meeting the sales, et cetera. And so, um, that uh, ended up being the role that uh, I took on amongst the partners, and uh, has has been my charge ever since.
1: Well, I mean, that's, that's really cool because often, you know, it's very similar when you talk to IT. IT has certain uh, boundaries they want to work within and, and often marketing is bumping up against IT trying to get stuff done. And there's, you know, they have the same conflict often with sales and marketing as well. Um, not all pulling in the same direction, but, you know, for you guys to go off and develop, your, you know, kind of your own solution for sales and marketing is a is a pretty uh, dramatic and aggressive approach to solving your uh, appetite to grow. It,
0: it, it is. And, and it's... T- as it continues to be. I mean, we, we were using, you know, five, six, seven tools, calling Dialer, we're using uh, email automation with sort of a MailChimp, uh, and we were using, um, you know, kind of like separate database system with Salesforce and all those things, and getting all those systems to talk together uh, was just not ideal, and so you know, we, we said to ourselves, "Well, hey, you know, we're, we're a software engineering company. Certainly, we can come up with a solution that is the best of both worlds and combines the, the best of all of these tools together." And so that's that's how we launched you know our core Sales Automation Platform, and it continues to speaking sort of of the core business, uh, the core software development business. It, it actually informs a lot of the work that we do with our other clients, right? Because it's a larger scale project. And it, it helps us sort of be reflexive of, you know, when we did this for ourselves, um, as opposed to a consultancy that only does work for other people, you, you sort of think about things in a different vein, right? You can, you can put uh, a foot in both worlds, but the client world and your, your own perspective uh, in a way that I think uh, a lot of firms are not able to do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now, in terms of your sales and marketing, you said that when you were first launching this, you had no inbound sales at all. Yeah, and now you've moved to all inbound sales. Do so you
0: just want to walk us through that that process? That's correct. And and when I say when I say you know no outbound sales, you know we of course do, um, but I would say the vast majority of the opportunities that are interesting are the ones where folks come and you know raise their hand and, and come talk to us. And so we we. We did this sort of traditional prospecting of, you know, if we go to, you know, trade associations, we go to conferences, we speak at conferences, we, you know, are building RPs and are, are responding to RPs, responding to white papers, are sending out white papers. And we still do all those things. Uh, however, we recognized that with both large demographic changes in the market where, you know, people are increasingly shopping online, everyone has a mobile device, everybody's searching online. And the change even to online purchasing of just physical goods, services were gonna go the same way. And this isn't 100% true all the time, but we also talked to a number of folks. We talked to Gartner, we, we conducted our own research study with a third party, and then we also did a university study. So we got a bunch of MBA students to go conduct a study for their sort of final class. And all three of those reports indicated you know, the shift is moving away from, you know, it's who you know to what company is the best fit for for our for our need. And we really kind of had to do some soul searching within the business to say, okay, well, who do, who do we want to be? Because we can't be everyone to all people. And what do we want to specialize in? And how do we want to present the process that we bring to the table to the market? And so we had to rethink all of that very, very quickly, and then put in a plan to market against that, because there's many ways to skin the proverbial cat, even in online marketing. And so we had to we had to sort of build a plan to to go execute that. So in terms of your what you guys have built,
1: I mean, I know that automation something that's, creep, that's creeping in uh, more and more into discussion. Automation, AI, machine learning, big data. You know what what do you see is the future of using those tools as you're building a new platform that's new and nimble and, and not tied to uh, a legacy system or big uh, you know big database.
0: Yeah, I think, I think two things. One, the, the first is speed, right? Customers are going to expect you to be able to respond to them very, very quickly, right? As, as quickly as possible. And they're going to expect that platform, that engagement with you, that, that automation, to be near instant, right? They're going to expect when they submit something or they reach out to your site or they're even clicking through your site, and then they're receiving some of those automatic replies, and they, they most consumers understand they are automatic, uh, and they're they are system generated. They expect that to be near instantaneous, right? And and get them to the next step of the conversation. And so that's not only from the consumer side, but it's also from the you know, so the, a lot of the market research is, is suggesting that Google is really pushing speed and the performance of their 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 measurement of their. Sort of market market metrics. I mean, there's 200, 200 million you know websites created last year. Two hundred million and companies. I, I mean, it's just it's <laughs> that's a, a, that's a sorry that number is nuts. Sick. Yeah, and, and it's it's increasing million. as more people have yeah. access to the internet, right? But but uh, so so it's the speed. And so with the automation tools, we've tried to kind of think about okay, well, how do we get things under ten milliseconds, right? So ten milliseconds is the threshold at which something becomes an interaction becomes near instantaneous right so that's the benchmark we're sort of holding ourselves against and in the tools we're building we're also keeping that benchmark in mind for the user interaction uh, and the execution of tasks because we want that we want that interaction with the user to be around that 10 millisecond point so it's near instant so they can really focus on their sales and marketing tasks at hand for one but then also to you know Really provide that next level experience because after that point, you know, if you get diminishing returns, you really can't go any faster.
1: Well, I, what's funny? I mean, you are talking ten milliseconds, and I think of the you know the number of times I am on the other end of the keyboard using somebody's uh, user interface of whatever SaaS software I am using, and how long I need to wait for the for the data to fill or the tasks that I've asked it to do. There is one piece of software that I use; it, it's very good at what it does. But usually, I will I will put in the parameters of what I want. I will hit I will hit search, and then I will go make myself a cup of coffee because at least I feel like I am doing something productive instead of sitting waiting for the software to catch up.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm over here nodding because that's uh, the case for things. And, and with the, the, the online experience, right, the, the move to online, both you know, products that are in the cloud, cloud-based software, this experience of speed is homogenous across markets and across products and across services. And so thinking about speed sort of at the forefront of what you're doing really is going to be mission critical for a lot of these companies to, to not only survive, but thrive.
1: Well, you said that consumers expect an instant response, and and that's certainly true in, in in a lot of cases. I mean, I wrote an article not too long ago about um, you know make sure you have a welcome message on your email subscription, and you know the fact that three quarters consumers expect to get it, and less than half the people use it. So that's a that's a pretty lo- that's pretty low hanging fruit, and it shouldn't be difficult to do that. So when I'm sending, um, you know, I'm hitting a bot, or I'm hitting an email list, or I'm doing something SMS, I expect an instant response.
0: At what point
1: does it get creepy? for the consumer.
0: I think the the point at which it gets creepy for a consumer is when your targeting doesn't allow the consumer to retain the, the degree of anonymity they want uh, before the conversation even begins, right? So, we have seen through competitor websites some of these this, even the chatbots, right, on certain pages are retaining data elements between sessions. And it can carry that even over into sort of an incognito mode, right? So we have a competitor's website where somebody accidentally filled out the, the ziptech.com in their thing. And so um, if anybody from our site goes to their, you know, the competitor's website and is just kind of looking around, so it's like, hey, ZipTech, how's it going? And obviously, you know, we don't, we can't we can't do sort of further interaction on, on that site without them sort of knowing we're taking a look around. And I think Though, you know, in many cases, the anonymity of the internet is something that is somewhat valuable to the consumer because it it, it lets them shop uh, in a sort of unperturbed manner. You know, you're going car shopping, you, you really don't want the guy to harass you, you really want to look at uh, the cars uh, on the lot first before you start asking questions. And I think, I think that sort of level of pushiness is going to have some pushback. And the people who are going to be able to balance... The get enough information, get enough data about your end consumer, and then also present context-relevant information, context-relevant marketing is, is going to be valuable. So you see the rise, I'll talk about chatbots, you see the rise of chatbots. The valuable chatbots uh, that we've built for customers are not the ones where we're just taking the raw data and saying like, hey, Jim, how's it going? And we're talking about this, the person specifically, but we're, we're providing context to the page and information they are searching for on the site. And we're presenting that information to them in a way where they can engage with that chatbot to get more information. Right,
1: in a, in a- yeah, that totally makes sense. I've had both experiences where one just was. Just be honest, you just want to sell me something. Like you're not asking me anything other than for my phone number and my email and all this other stuff. And then I go to other chat bots that have set up really well, where I can actually engage. Now I realize it's it's a it's a chat bot. It's not a person, but I can. It helps me to find the information that I'm looking for, like you said. So you know, you really in that case, you're allowing the consumers to set the pace at which they receive the information, and you're not just all but, hey, give me all your information, and then I'll help you find
0: what you want. Right, very much so. And I think, I think actually, the the standard standard deployment of tools like that uh, are going to get in, they'll be increasingly common because the costs are coming down. Um, there are there are even open source, exceptionally powerful chatbots are being used by uh, Fortune 500 companies like Rasa and these things that can be you know pretty easily implemented, pretty easily trained, pretty easily customized. And so, uh, you know, I think that's, I think it's going to be in, increasingly common. Now, w- using some of this automation, we do want to, in, in both for this, you know, for our tech business, we, we try to also improve the ability of our reps and salespersons and marketing persons to actually have a real conversation with the person. And we try to encourage those real conversations. I mean, we put our phone number right up on top of, our website because we want people to call us we will always want to try to get to as close to in person as possible i think a lot of companies have a tendency to try to push people to email push people to sms and they lose that human touch uh to how they're actually marketing their business or how they're actually selling their business uh, and i think i think that's just that's a mistake that's actually going to call them or problems. they have a,
1: just a contact form yeah. right just which which is even worse i look at them going seriously that's the best you can do you can't give me your address and all you have is a contact form like are you a real business
0: Correct. Yeah, very much so. Sends the wrong signal. <laughs> so, what do you think the food
1: the uh, the first mover opportunity is for for people? You know, kind of following your lead in terms of automation and technology in their customer relationship or having that conversation for inbound.
0: Yeah, I think I think that that first that first mover advantage is going to be for businesses that that adopt a system that allows really seamless interaction between the information captured from the web, that includes where that that lead came from, how many times that lead visited your site, all this this sort of typical marketing information that you can get from browser history, browser interaction, and then ties it seamlessly into that CRM system, which then really kind of encourages the sales party to have the closest thing to a face-to-face interaction as possible. And then, going back to our earlier conversation, does all of these things in near real time, right? So if you can get that information that is valuable and allows you to have a real material conversation with that end consumer quickly and earnestly in a way that adds value, and the data is both provided by that end user and to your end sales rep or end marketing, chief marketing officer, in, in near real time, and then provides insights onto that. So, like you have you have sentiment analysis with phones, and you can do AI in terms of lead scoring, in terms of the priority of which somebody's likely to convert based on historical data. Sure, you're gonna be able to you're gonna be able to execute much more quickly and much more effectively on two fronts. One, you'll be able to you know pr- appropriately prioritize a customer and give them the attention that you know they deserve because they're likely to convert, etc. So you're gonna provide a better end user experience for that customer. And then B, you're going to, you know, more appropriately as a business pay less attention to leads that are otherwise going to waste your time that you can, you know, pr- appropriately remarket to and, and simply educate before they're really ready to uh, make a transaction.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, because, you know, um, in terms of sales funnel, we know that there's only like three or 4% of the people that, you know, hit your website if you're running ads are in a buying mode. So, what do you do with the rest of the people? So, like you said, you move the people to the front of the line that they need your help today, and the people who are just looking that are going to be a month, six months, whatever down the road, uh, you can appropriately market to them. It's funny that you're talking about the all inclusive solution. I was uh, working on a marketing plan for a health and wellness project I'm involved in. And that's exactly what we're trying to do is figure out how do we get CRM, chatbot facebook social email all to all to operate in one platform so we really give the, the the communication channel decision to the consumer instead of saying if you want to communicate with us you must talk by email or you must talk by phone and uh, you know our goal there really is simply to say to the consumer okay mister consumer how do you want to engage with the company you know, here's all the channels. Uh, pick one. You pick one that works best for you, and that's how we'll work with you.
0: Yeah, very much so. I, and in fact, I ran into just an anecdotal problem where we were trying to update a software license that we use to build uh, some software for a client, and, and just renew our license. And this is this is a this is a billion dollar company. I mean, multi billion dollar company that produces this software. They don't have a phone number on their website. They don't have a contact email. They just have a contact form, and they they do have a, a chat. Widget, but it only appears and stays available on one page of your basically purchase flow. And so, if you leave that page to try to get any any other info about you know why you're having trouble completing a transaction, uh, you'll lose actually the conversation history. And so, the the bigger companies have built, I think, pretty effective connections between all of those tools to you know really kind of combat those problems and present options for you to them to talk to their end customer but uh, clearly a lot of companies really don't understand uh, precisely what you just mentioned and that we need to give people multiple avenues to communicate as opposed to sort of pigeonholing them into one or few very limited mechanisms for communicating especially when there's a problem in this case like we wanted to need that we needed that updated so we could be uh, effectively billable <laughs>
1: that's that's funny. So, where do you see automation going to in the future? I mean, you, you know, you, I've heard Elon Musk say, hey, before we rush into AI, we should take a really serious look at that. And then I talked to um, Christopher Lockhead, and he was talking about the data flywheel and the fact that uh, Tesla really isn't a car company. It's an information gathering company that's going to likely move into the insurance business because they know all your driving data. Mm-hmm. So, a little contrary to what he's saying. So, where do you see? Um, the future of, of automation.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's a great question, and you you raised insurance, and and I think you know insurance actuaries they spend their their whole you know spend all their time looking at you know tables and creating tables of you know what is what is someone who smokes you know how long are they likely to live, etc. And I think we're moving further towards uh, much more cohesive, much more uh, powerful behavioral economics with things like AI, and it really is adding there's additional data points to consumer behavior to make a determination as to what they're going to do or provide sort of predictive responses to, you know, communication. So take, for example, example that when you now type in your phone and you're maybe responding to a text, you get pre-populated responses that you can, you know, swipe right with your thumb or your finger to give an answer for that item. Now, that may not seem significant at first, but considering that most people are communicating via their mobile device and there's billions of people on the planet and you're using that system multiple times a day, communication is accelerating at an incredible pace because we're able to sort of cut out some of the superfluous action of sending otherwise sort of repetitive communication, or it's it's also using that behavioral mechanism to send that communication for us, and that's also seeing its way seeing its way into email. And so I think what you're going to see is a creep towards increasing sort of behavioral elements that can be put into that linear algebra uh, equation that can be sort of automated away, and then I think over time, then that is going to go into actually. The, uh, the ultimate tool selection that companies are using for their businesses, right? I think, I think you're going to get pieces, parts of that calling. You can get call dispositions very easily now. That's, that's a sort of well-understood science, but it's going to find its way into other things like SMS, like email, uh, in a way that it hasn't before.
1: Well, let's just hope we don't go too far far down that path like the that movie Click with Adam Sandler where once it learned his preferences, it skipped all the family stuff he didn't like and he woke up one day and he'd missed, missed the whole family growing up.
0: That's right. Yeah, that's a great movie. I, I haven't seen
1: that in a while. <laughs> but it's funny. I mean, because that's really what we're talking about now because I know when I open my email to respond to an email, I've got two or three populated answers there that I can just instantly click and send. I'm seeing that now on LinkedIn. Like you said, you're seeing that now with SMS. So that's where obviously that's where it's moving. Now, is there a... A, um, is there a breakthrough, or success story of a specific client you'd uh, like to share with us?
0: Yeah, I think um, a, a recent success is we had. Uh, this is actually in the healthcare space. We had a client who was doing post-op clinical trials, and they needed a mechanism for systematically following up with these. They call, they call them patients, or you know, people in the study. Um, so. They needed some way to sort of automate that communication out to those end parties. And then they needed a separate tool, uh, which we built, which allowed them to place those people into you know, systematically random you know, stratified samples so they could collect this data in a statistically meaningful way. And make sure the data was actually random, and not you're, you're not getting false positives, et cetera. Sure. Um, so we built we built an entire application that facilitates that, uh, and we did that sort of off the back of the technology that we'd use for some of this email automation through tools like OneCourse. And the result has been that they've been able to scale this thing so that they now have you know hundreds of clinicians in it. They're doing uh, multiple studies by you know in various sites across the U.S. And it has allowed these MD, PhDs and and statisticians to collect a lot of material data about people post-surgery, you know, post-treatment, and uh, ultimately drive better outcomes, right? And if you kind of think about it, well, at the end of the day, it's a piece of software and it it, it helps facilitate all that, making, you know, the healthcare system more efficient for me and future generations. And that's that's a lot of fun. It's, it's, It's a great thing to do.
1: Yeah, it's pretty amazing to think of, you know, the computing power these days to be able to run through and and run those sort of analysis and run all those tasks. And when you compare, you know, back five years ago, even 10 years ago. So in terms of people's feedback, I mean, obviously, I hear feedback when I'm out and about. And so when you're out at a cocktail party and people say, hey, you know, what do you do or what, what sort of work do you do? And you tell them, you know, your experience, what you're doing. What's the bad advice that you hear from likely other marketing people around automation, AI and the way it's, uh, way it's moving?
0: I think the thing you hear is, well, it's, it's too impersonal, and it is basically making it so that, you know, you can't really have a real conversation anymore. And I think, there, I think there's some, some truth to that. I think that that is a little bit more limited to some of these tools, which are the spammers, the robocallers of the world. I, my my phone gets constantly blown up, but now identifies things as "Hey, this is likely a spam caller," and so I just don't answer those. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think I think that's where the bad rap is coming from. But I think these thoughtful and uh, sort of I, you know items that are sort of semantically tied to the execution of otherwise mundane activities like the the automatic responses to texts or the quick quick responses to texts and the listening to you know, audio on your behalf to, to come up with a call disposition, these things that kind of s- seamlessly fit into the workflow that would be the sales and marketing process are really truly value add. And they're going to allow companies and sales reps to have more meaningful conversations with their clients or, or otherwise move on. And I think that if we can have better, more genuine conversation, everybody's going to be better off.
1: Yeah. And on the other side, I mean, if if you can go through and use some form of um, technology, whether it's AI or, or learning to to identify who's not your prospect, the, the big advantage I see is you don't, you know, from the company point of view, you don't waste resources, but from the consumer point of view, I don't waste their time. So I don't waste their time. You know, if the guy is, um, I don't know, what's your favorite um, sporting team, I, I don't waste my time sending you an offer that's not relevant. You're not going to buy a jersey for my team if that's clearly not your team. So knowing that in advance saves, you know, saves you time saves me time and money.
0: Right. And in, in, in fact, you know, if you're, if you look at, depending on how your company structured, you may look at customer service differently. You may be able to direct that customer. You may have an, you may have extra time where you can then direct that customer to an appropriate, maybe competitor or appropriate company or resource that can serve them in a meaningful way. And in that time that you've saved by saying, hey, you're you're basically not a good fit for us or we're not a good fit for you. You can you can still create value for that person and they may come back and create value for you. And I think I think that's it's actually going to accelerate sort of transactional velocity for a lot of companies by, by sort of taking that mentality and using tools that are going to facilitate that.
1: Well, one of the things I've seen more of in probably the last six months than ever before is when, you know, I'm on a company's website and I'm asking for, I'm clearly looking for information. I'm asking questions uh, with their chat or I fill out a form for a demo is I'm now seeing, you know, a qualifying call before a sales call. So for me, yeah, that, I normally find that annoying because I don't want to talk to someone for 15 minutes to find out if I'm qualified, I wouldn't have asked. But of course, I get their point. But the other side of that is I'm now getting emails back saying, hey, these are the kind of the parameters that we work around. So this is kind of our terms of engagement. These are the sort of clients we like to work with. These are the budgets. And I appreciate that because it clearly, again, saves me time. If if I'm not a fit, I can just say this isn't a fit. This doesn't work for me. And both parties get to move on.
0: Yeah, I think, again, with the the general movement to – online shopping, online purchasing, and online discovery of service providers, this element of self-selection is not only becoming you know, more powerful for the consumer, which is great, right? But it's also allowing vendors to more clearly articulate to their end client. I facilitate this service. And this is what I do particularly well. Do you fit into these parameters? And is this what you are looking for? And that is going to lead to a stronger exchange of goods and services, and I think in part you're also going to see a tighter niching down of those products and services to a given market. I mean, very, very, very detailed niches that I think will, you know, ultimately allow for for you know better transaction of goods and services. Like I, I, I think even in the medical field, I have seen sort of an increase of we're, we're serving various. Physicians groups that have sort of specialty clinics and we're seeing you know that they're even getting more niche with some of their services in a sort of regional area is compared to you know other competitors and they're presenting them w- themselves in a certain way or they need help building a piece of software that helps them sort of support that niche in a given way in in a way you sort of would have never imagined. but I think that's that's kind of in- increasing differentiation is is sort of ever ever occurring. That's
1: really cool. So what are you most excited about as it relates to what you're doing in either tech or marketing or with either one of the companies you're involved in?
0: Yeah, I think I think there's there's two things I'm exceptionally excited about. I think one is you have this confluence of multiple tools that are being consolidated down into these insanely powerful business applications and because of the, the sort of some recent technology developments, that that speed of the, the speed of those tools and the uh, the sort of why let's call them the, let's call them the wise millennials, right who are who are so fed up with slow applications and they kind of expect things to kind of look pretty, you, you're having these user experiences that necessarily have to come about and be accessible to all parties, right? The iPhone is something that you know can be used by, just about anybody. I mean, I have, I have an you know eighty five year old grandfather, and he understands how to use every single component of an iPhone, right? So the user experiences are necessarily simple. They're necessarily something that you can engage with, and they're they're these these tools are increasingly powerful. So I think that's that's one thing. That's really sort of that own course uh, sales automation platform we're building, and I, I think that's that's we're going to see increased automation sort of play a part in that, uh, just kind of sort of naturally. So that's, that's one thing that I'm interested in. The second thing is, again, this confluence of, kind of going back to the healthcare discussion, this confluence of uh, really, really powerfully available tools, increasingly sort of on the market and specialized, that are not yet adopted in the medical profession. We're seeing, it, we're seeing an increased adoption, partially, of, of course, because we're, we're focused on that market, but we're seeing an increased adoption of newer and better tools that are affecting patient outcomes. And we're also seeing these medical groups for the first time sort of innovate in a way that they kind of haven't, right? They've, they've been more device-focused or more care-focused, but now they're looking more towards these digital tools to look at large swaths of data and glean insights from that data, and then provide value to ultimately result in better care. And as a, as a younger person, uh, and seeing, you know, sort of just kind of what tools are out there and sort of existing tools, these things look kind of archaic in terms of the, the existing tool set. And so, you know, I think it's, I think technology is going to continue to sort of transform medicine. And that's, that's something that I'm particularly interested in and uh, something, you know, I want to help to not necessarily disrupt, but to continue to change and, and influence and, and help bring new ideas to.
1: Well, even the whole attitude of, I don't know if the, the right word is usefulness in terms of uh, productivity, but you get guys like Gary Vaynerchuk saying, hey, if you're 50 and you're, you know, your side your, your, your life is taken a turn. Like, don't worry about it. Like start something new, start your, start your entrepreneurial venture at 50. You've probably got another 35 or 40 years of technology comes along and keeps increasing the way it is that to, to keep living. So, you know, um, you're right. I mean, technology's aiding and, and, and pushing the medicine forward. And, uh, so I'm seeing, you know, uh, people that would normally retire at 50 and 55 that by choice are launching off into entrepreneurial ventures. And with The aid of technology and being able to be a mobile workforce to live a happy, productive life, working at something they love to do and make money while they're on the road.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. I think I I did read an article somewhere about this this kind of like retiree entrepreneurs and the route they were taking to start a business has been online overwhelmingly because the startup costs for I read somewhere else too that the startup costs for creating a business post 2008 crisis uh, adjusted for the downturn was something like five hundred and eighty to five hundred and forty thousand dollars. Like some some really, really large amount oh, wow. to yeah. to create like the average business. I think that was I think they were blending numbers between like a restaurant and some other things, right? But they're saying that, well, as of 2018, 2019, the average cost to start a business in terms of like, you know, input capital uh, is something like two hundred thousand dollars and they, they expect that to continue to go down. So you know, that, I think that's that's in large part due to you know the internet and the creation of software and you know online shopping.
1: Well, it's funny because we've got, you know, I've got three adult kids and I've got grandkids coming up and looking at what my kids are doing and and working and thinking, wow, I mean, um, to think that you could make a whole career out of developing a following for your passion. Like my son was a huge rugby guy. It's like, you know, if you really like that, if you developed a following, people will pay you $1,000 to send out a post on in the Instagram account to talk about rugby, yeah. an industry that didn't exist as I was going through a school and college.
0: Absolutely. It's, it's wild. And it really is... Uh... I think I think a lot of industries are going to be disrupted, uh, much like retail is being you know, very much disrupted right now. And I think we are very much close to you know sort of the second industrial revolution, if not going through it right now. And I think I think this this kind of creative destruction, yes, it's gonna it's gonna take away jobs. I think the the, the one of the fears is that. Automation is going to sort of wipe out jobs, and no one's going to have anything to do. Uh, every <laughs> that, every that's technology funny. shift through yeah. history has has shown that. Well, no, in fact, you know, that, you know, it's going to create more jobs, just things that didn't exist before, like you know, re- Instagram rugby posts. But yep. but I think you you have to be you know willing uh, to sort of not know what you don't know and uh, jump in to learn it.
1: Well, the guys that I hear complaining the loudest right now in terms of disruption are the media. Very much. So, you know, there in in Canada, I saw them put together an actual website to lobby the government to prevent Canadians from advertising in the U.S. and allowing it to be tax deductible. And the reasoning was that Google and Facebook have populate fake news, and what we really need are more reporters. Mm-hmm. So, there's an example of you know an industry that's becoming irrelevant because they're not getting with the program. They're trying to stay with status quo, the way they've operated all you know before.
0: Yeah, I I mean. Running a newspaper, if you were sort of a one or two newspaper town, was basically, you know, a license to, to print money, but that's not the case anymore, right? People have alternative mechanisms for searching for specific information that solves their need, right? Yep. They can go to Google, they can type in a query, and Google is going to try to serve a result that best answers their question. And Absolutely. And that is the sort of, that's the future of, of you know. Literary writing, or uh, even um, really just kind of writing in general, right now. I think I think certain news outlets, uh, certain media outlets, will continue to exist in, in perpetuity and do well. Uh, you know, I'm a big consumer of the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, and uh, some of these other business publications. And I think I think you know, there's 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 going to be other outlets that are going to do very well. Uh, but by and large, you know, it's it's going to be voices like you. Where you're speaking on particular subjects such as business that, that people are going to be listening to and, and people are going to be reading them as opposed. well people
1: are paying they're paying for content as well i mean i'm a subscriber to the journal I, I want to read the journal so i have to read it online and that works well so i'm happy to to pay my whatever it is 30 or 35 dollars a month it is for the subscription to have that to have that content delivered to my uh, you know to my um desktop every day
0: right right very much so <laughs> So a couple
1: of questions. I'll let you uh, get back to your day. Who's one guest I absolutely have to have on my podcast?
0: I think I think Perrin Carroll at uh, Rank IQ or, at R A N Q dot I O. He is an exceptionally bright marketer, and and actually speaking about the, the reason that that sparked it off was you talking about sort of the, the decline of of writing. This is somebody who is very deep into SEO and very much understands the sort of technical nature of how to write something that Google is uh, trying to present to an end user for the result. And I think he would also be able to talk about sort of the transformation of how people are searching for information on the web and, and probably have some insight into the decline of journalism as well, because I think his, he was a communications major coming out of college.
1: Well, that's really cool, because you're right. I mean, as, as, as technology becomes more familiar, we probably search differently as we get more mature in how to use the computer to get the result that we want. Very much so. Very much so. And most important question of the day is: How can people track you down and connect with you?
0: Great question. So our our uh, parent company website is zibtek z i b t e k dot com, and I'm actually I, I'm cc'd on everything that goes out from the contact form, so I, I see I see everything, whether or not I respond, <laughs> I see everything, and uh, so that's probably the best way to get a hold of. Uh, hello, uh, me, and then uh, I will share my LinkedIn uh, credentials with you. You can also email, this goes to uh, a good number of folks, hello at com, and I'm, I'm also CC'd on that.
1: Well, cool. Hey, thanks so much uh, for taking time and sharing with us today, Ian.
0: I really appreciate you having me on, Doug.
1: So there you go, listeners. This is a little bit more technical discussion. I love what technology is doing and have found uh, just a huge advantage for our clients to be first movers and getting involved in in, uh, running a clean database, using tools and technology and automation and whenever possible, get them all bundled all into one. I was introduced to Ian from a a previous guest that I had on my show. So I just want to say thanks for tuning in. I hope you found this conversation today helpful. Don't be shy to head over to their website and uh, have a look around, take a look at what they're doing, what they're building and uh, i'll make sure that all the information that we share today is transcribed in the show notes i'll make sure that there's a link to ian's website that ZipTech, as well as his linkedin profile so thanks for tuning in i look forward to serving you on our next episode
0: That's all for this episode of Real Marketing Real Fast. Now it's time to take your marketing to the next level by visiting dougmorneau.com and downloading our advanced marketing white papers as well as exclusive resources based on today's episode. That's dougmorneau.com.
1: Until next time, we look forward to serving you right here on Real Marketing Real Fast.